this is our favorite part of the show where you have the opportunity to share with us someone that you're championing, someone that you're working with, someone artistically that you think other people need to know about. So who do you got for us today, Ben? Well, first of all, thank you for having me a part of the program. Of course. So special and such a freaking great platform. I'm truly honored, so thank you. Mm -hmm. And today you've invited me to invite one of my favorite bands who happens to be on my record label and they are the Volbeats. And from the Volbeats today, we have Matt Smith and Peter Andrus. Hey guys. Thank you guys for, for coming on. Well, I can say I was listening to their record and I really like it. I think I may have gotten advanced copy. Yes. So how did you all meet? Peter and I go all the way back. We were uh, born and raised in the same town, Claremont, California, and Peter was always the cooler, older kid. <laughs> but I can't, I'm not sure how many years, but Peter and his crew <clears throat> were the first guys to make like loud garage music and have a skate ramp. And they were the, they were the kids that my, my Grom squad looked up to. And you stayed friends all that time, or are you, through music, reconnected? Uh, both. Uh-huh. Both. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we had kind of lost touch for a little while, and then we uh, had reconnected, um, I think it was really at the Chris Darrow uh, record release uh, show at McCabe's, which would have been sometime in the 2000s. Um, and, you know, Chris Darrow was a local musician who was a, a mentor to a lot of younger musicians in town. And now, Ben, wasn't your first single a Chris Darrow song? My first single was the Chris Darrow song, Whipping Boy. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we'd been in touch ever since then, really. But, but yeah, I'd run into him over the years, but uh, had, you know, hadn't seen him for, for a while. And through our friendship, I, you know, I, of course, taking interest in each other's uh, musical endeavors, he started playing with the Volbeats. And so that introduced me to the Volbeats music. And then uh, I started a label, and at the same time, they had finished an album, and the timing just, it, it aligned to where I could, you know, I discussed it with Peter, Peter discussed it with Matt and Jeff, and it was game on for, for, a, for an album on my label. Fantastic. And your label is? Mad Bunny Records. That's right. What a great name. I Thank love you. that name. Thank you. Yeah. So is the record coming out soon? The record is out June 10th. Very soon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Matter, matter of fact, the CDs have just shipped from the plant and are arriving any day, which is, to this day, one of the... I, I know it's a, in, in, a, in the digital world, and we'll talk more about that, the thrill of having the actual piece is as exciting, if not more so, in this age than it's ever been. Yeah. So I, I'm, yeah, we're, I'm on watch at the warehouse. And how long did it take you all to make the record? Oh, God. It was about as long as it's taken Kraftwerk to make their new album. You know, <laughs> it took a long time. Um, the last record we did came out 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, we just kind of, I think, we just sort of worked on this one gradually over the last decade. And um, in the meantime, I, you know, I, I was working on other musical projects, playing with different people. I was playing with crime in the city solution and outrageous cherry and Sixto Rodriguez and playing with, you know, and all of us were doing different things, but we would meet up every several months 
to continue writing songs and working on stuff, you know, and we gradually got the record together. And then we argued about the artwork for the next few years and argued about the <laughs> track listing. Uh, and then uh, actually what really pulled the record together was uh, Ben sort of suggested the track listing, you know, suggested a potential track listing. And he kind of, kind of got us, um, got us out of our, confusion about the order of the tracks anyway so so it was sort of once we started talking to ben the whole thing kind of fell into place then the artwork fell into place yeah so now your previous the last record 12 years ago was a double record is that it was a double record yeah it was what was the title of the record again great record it's just called the volbeats the volbeats i thought so and it was a double record and this record uh which is entitled lonesome galaxy Mm -hmm. was set to be a double record and in my listening i it really did feel like where, where the volbeats is a co I, I from where i listened was clearly a double record this record felt to me before it was had a title it felt like two it just felt like two different records so thank you for letting me bring that up without it being you know uh, out of line well, no, no, well you were right the thing is we, what it was was i think that the songs we left off were good but they were like, you know, some of those songs we left off were like the little brother song to the song that we kept on the album, you know? Okay. Sure. So I think that what we did is we pulled out the B sides <laughs> and kind of kept the A sides is how that's kind of how we did it. But it was which, interesting. Which, yeah, and it wasn't, I wasn't whole, and my perspective was I, I, I loved the body of work. I just thought there was a kinship with the songs that ended up being Lonesome Galaxy that was really rare I, mean, I i really feel like lonesome galaxy is just lean and mean yeah yeah and and then once once we had the track listing in order the whole artwork concept fell into place immediately like so we'd been we'd been we'd had these meetings about artwork here in detroit where Je- jeff the singer would just show up with whatever he found at antique sales and garage sales and he'd show up with like little salt shakers from the 1930s and stuff and be like, is this our album cover? You know, so we were like, we just were like looking at all this junk and arguing about artwork for, I mean, so it was just this really surreal kind of thing. And then after we did the track listing, just all of a sudden we started to behave like a, like a normal group, you know, Oh, here's, here's the artwork concept. All right. And we, here's the artist. All right. It's done, you know, and so, and let's talk a little bit about that artwork because the artwork is, is, you know, I mean, it's its own statement. I mean, it's if that were hanging on my wall framed, I'd be thrilled. Yeah. And it was uh, it, and it was uh, the artist uh, Ava East is a guitar player in a uh, in a Detroit band uh, called Shadow Show. And she also plays with me on my solo stuff. Um, but Ava's a, a musician and an artist. And, you know, I asked Thank her if she you, came Ava. up with that immediately. You know, I, what's most important to me about what we get out of this interview is that whatever we discuss is nothing you can possibly find on the internet. I just, it's got to be that fresh. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, first of all, yes. Thank you, Ava East, for that incredible, for the artwork. It's just next level. How often does Jeff thrift store shop? I think he does it 24 hours a day. I I can, you know, and he, you know, I I, I don't know. He does it a lot. No, I mean, he's... I'm so curious that what's his, what's his coolest, what's his coolest find? That's a good question. It's just he's got so much weird stuff. Uh, you know, everything from like a jacket that looks like the jacket Brian Jones wore in the mid 60s to, uh, you know, 
I don't even know, you know, like military helmets. I mean, I mean, just, just, just anything you can imagine. Salt shakers, mag magazines, like old. Um, does he old, resell you know, it or does he just covet it? No, no. He, he buys them and then he just accumulates it. <laughs> and just, you know, I don't know. He, he just, yeah, he does. I don't think he resells. I mean, I don't think he resells it. I don't think he just, you know, he just, that's how it. many storage facilities does Jeff have? <laughs> Uh, well, it's, I think it's scattered around a few different uh, residences, but uh, okay. it's, it's it's scattered around. And uh, but once I, you know, if I leave something at his house, you know, it gets swallowed up in all these boxes, and then he can't find it. So I have to like, you know, grab. If I see something of his, I, I you know, I have to grab it before it goes into the boxes. You know, but yeah, I come from a long lineage of junk shoppers. Uh huh. Me too. We you love do. to thrift. The okay. whole family. The whole, the We're kind family. of obsessed with thrifting okay. as a way to shop. Reuse, recycle. Very nice. <laughs> and I remember almost at the day when, when eBay started mm -hmm. and how much that shape-shifted the process. Well, the thing that really bug, bugged me about when eBay came along is that at garage sales, records were always a dollar. And after eBay came out, they're like, no, these are $2 a piece. And I'm like, what do you mean $2 for a record? Of course, now, you know, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm that, but if you're finding like, you know, original Blue Note jazz records, I mean, of course, I'm not going to complain about finding it for $2, but, you know, it's still, uh, you know, it changed the, you know, all of a sudden when you find stuff at the garage sale, there, there are little post-it notes on it with little, you know, people writing stuff on it, you know, and everything's just... You know, it's a different a different world, you know. It changed it, right? Just just a little bit. It altered the process, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Kurt I still, Cobain you know, altered the process too, because he just everything that guy wore was just so cool that I remember like cardigan sweaters went from like being seventy five cents to seven dollars and fifty cents to seven hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> well well one thing one thing about you know, about Detroit though is like you know, as as a record collector, you know, uh this is still a good city to find uh, records at reasonable price. Like you can still find good records here that aren't at the prices they are online. Like you can actually, you can, you can still find stuff here. Of course, it's a bunch of record collectors ready to stab each other in the back with an ice pick, you know, when you run into them at the record store, but you know, but you can still find stuff here. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's cool. You know, are those records behind you or books? Those are records. That's what I thought. So you yeah. collect, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've been, I've been collecting records since I was a little kid, and it's and it's just gotten more extreme, you know. So is that just a, a small representation of the records you have? Is what we're seeing in frame? Y yes. <gasps> Ooh, how fun! That sounds like a field trip. Let's yep. go to your house, please, and <laughs> just thumb through wow. all the records. That's a lot. Well, that's of, of all the Zoom backdrops and internet backdrops <laughs> right? that have existed, I, I, you, yours is my favorite. Yeah, winning. Oh, thanks. For sure. <laughs> yeah. What, what if it was just a poster? You just right. it down. Yeah, it's fake. It's uh, you know, it's seamless paper. We talked about it preparing for this thing. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peter, no, what he has, in, what he has in records, you have in instruments, or do you have a rec a vinyl collection that can rival Matt's? I have a vinyl collection, but in no way does it rival Matt's. Um, you know, Matt Matt's is otherworldly. I'm surprised it's on the second story. I'm surprised it hasn't fallen through. You know, down uh, downstairs. You know, well, I, you know, I keep it near the walls. You know, it's near the walls. It's not in the middle of the room, so it's okay. 
except for the stacks that are in the middle of the room. But uh, yeah, well, I, I, I try, I try to move those out. I try to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there really is no feeling like that moment though, whether it's with an instrument or a rare record or a record that's rare to you or that you want when you find it and it lands right. And you're just going, you know, I can't compare it to anything. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's, it's sort of like, um, um, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, it's, it's like you, like you discovered some unknown planet all of a sudden, you know, it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a feeling of, um, yeah, of, re- of real, um, it's a very positive feeling. Yeah. Anytime that I land in Detroit and Matt picks me up at the airport, we never go straight back to his place. I always spend the next six hours with my, <laughs> with my guitar and my little suitcase in the back going to every record store in Detroit. And then, uh, you know, at the end of the night, he's probably got more uh, records to unload out of the car than we do, you know, my guitars. So... Wow. Peter, yeah, which brings me to another question, because Peter lives in L.A. Okay. He and I are part of like a text collective of guys that go back 30 years, if not. More than that. I mean. Yeah. Tell me. A long way. Yeah. All the way. Well, back. yeah. I mean, I'm probably five years older than Ben, and he grew up on the block over uh, from me. Uh, so I remember him when he was, you know. Like keep keep in mind this is nineteen seventies, so there's just roaming packs of kids on their skateboards and their stingray bikes just roaming the streets, you know. And he was one of those kids and I was an older kid down the street. And when you five years when you're a kid is that's like a generation, you know. But when you get a little older, it doesn't matter. Uh but you know, I did have a couple of friends. Like he lived next door, uh Ben or Ben grew up next to uh, my friend John Albert. And we had another friend who used to look after Ben and, and his little brothers, uh, you know, babysit him in the afternoons. And we would we would bring our records over there, you know, to play. And so it was first of all, it was amazing to see like a nine year old Ben pulling out his mom's Hendrix and and uh, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGree records. But we would bring over Buzzcocks and the Damned and the Weirdos or whatever, Iggy, whatever the 14 year old me was listening to. Uh but like I said, when you get older, those years don't those years don't matter, you know. Wow! So that so is yeah, more like forty years. It seems like it's, a friendship or yeah, knowing each other. It's wow. as long as like the law allows, you know. Wow. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, it's been a long time. So Peter, you play a lot of a lot of the guitar, if not all the guitar, or a lot of the lead guitar on this album, on Lonesome Galaxy. I don't play all of the lead guitar. I play. What is it, Matt? Maybe most of it, but not all of it. But I mean, I think, you know, I, good... think, I think it's like half and half. I think we we go yeah. half and half with the leads. Yeah, it's probably about half and half on on here. You know, um, but but and, when you're not playing you know, leads, we... I can hear your texture even in the rhythm. I like I know you're playing so well. Uh, yeah, I play well. We both. It's interesting. We both. The thing is, so much fun about playing with the band is that we switch off a lot. And so, you know, I'll play a lot of rhythm. I'll play a lot of acoustic. I'll play leads. Matt will do the same thing. We play live. We um, just throw stuff back and forth and I got to be on my, I got to be on my toes because, you know, Matt will point to me and it's like, okay, uh, I guess, you know, I got him doing a lead now or, or whatever. You know, we have, it's, it's, you know, uh, love well, playing live. You were band, commuting. You, know? you were doing a lot of commuting for this record. Cause I remember talking to you where you were going back. Oh, you're going back to Detroit. Okay. I'm going back to Detroit. 
Yeah, I well, I used up a lot of frequent flyer miles, and uh, yeah, we yeah, I, we went. I went back and forth quite a bit, and then that kind of all halted during the pandemic. But by that time, we had had the record mixed, and it was just sitting there waiting for someone like you to come along. Uh, and uh, but yeah, so I I would go back and forth quite a bit. We would do shows around the uh, Detroit area. We did go back to the East Coast for for some stuff, but. Uh, yeah, mainly it was just flying back there, doing a few shows and, and recording when we could. I loved you were telling me stories about Matt early on when we reconnected and how cool not only Matt was as just like one of the rare humans, but you were telling me about his recording process. And you said something that stuck out to me so much like nobody is nobody's. I hope it's OK. I I. I slightly overstepped, but no one's drinking, getting high, getting lit. You just show up at Matt's house. Everybody loads up on coffee and you kind of like <laughs> roll tape. And I just thought that was great. Cause that's my, like, that's my process. Walk in, brew the coffee, pour the coffee, flesh out the songs and roll tape. Well, the yeah, other, well, yeah, the other the thing is, we, the other thing is we don't, I, I don't let anyone wear headphones either. Oh yeah. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah, it's a very Motown kind of thing. Well, I, you know, in, in talking with Matt about this and we, I, one of the first times I went back there, we did a tour of the Motown Museum and Matt, you ended up becoming friends with the guy who built some of the, the equipment there, right? The right. engineer. Yeah. And, know, yeah. It, yeah and, and we were talking and, and what Matt had said something to me, but yeah, which also Ben, it stuck with me and says, you know, man, I just think. You just you get a bunch of musicians in a room and you give them a you give them a bunch of coffee and by the end of the day you should have a record and I I absolutely believe that and I think it's a good way to approach uh, a good a way, an approach the process you know also we you know we've record we recorded this album in in, um, in a kitchen and a living room of of a house that this house that I'm in right now which is actually architecturally exactly the same kind of house that the Motown Museum is. You know the Motown Studio, the the Hitsville, USA, is a house like this. It's a flat, two story, you know, flat, and um, so it's um, you know we were recording on an analog eight track living room kitchen. You know, it's just sort of an older way of doing things. You know, do you all plan to tour the record and get on the road, or we haven't toured in a while, but we want to tour for this one. You know, we're just kind of. Um, waiting to see what, you know, like right now with all this COVID stuff and everything, it's been insane, but, uh, you know, we're going to play a show in Detroit in a few weeks. And then after that, we're going to just start looking at other things and, you know, we'll sort of ease back into it. And, uh, you know, that's the plan. Yeah. But we really want to start playing live again. Cause you know, uh, we, we, I mean, through this whole pandemic, we haven't played any shows at all. It's been crazy. And we will be playing the, the record release show for the record is going to be in Detroit at Trina Softs uh, on the ele June 11th, 7.30. We're going to be playing two sets, two completely different sets. Um, uh, it's just going to be the Volbeats twice. So you're going to get stuck with two sets with us if you show up. But, uh, uh, that is so you know, cool. so cool. How can we find you on the Internet and social media? Do you all get involved with any of that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Instagram, uh, Instagram is, uh, the Volbeats or at the Volbeats or however they do it. And then, um, on Facebook, it's, uh, the Volbeats Detroit. Okay. And let's talk about Detroit. I, not to go too far into it. 
or further than we need to, but it, I think it's super important to recognize that you guys are tried and true Detroit. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about where bands are from, how it defines their sound in a way. And I'm curious, Matt, you're, you're what generation Detroit? Or first, I, I'm not even sure, but tell me your connection to Detroit. Well, you know, when I was a little kid, I went to school at this school across the street from the Motown studio, and I didn't even know what they were doing in there in the late 60s, you know. Um, but growing and were your up parents here, and your parents before you Detroit as well, or did they move from somewhere else? My family was, you know, basically from here, you know, my, my father was from the East Coast, but uh, but my mom's family, we were all, Detroit, you know, from Detroit. No, actually, you know, my father lived in, yeah, he, he was living in Detroit, too, at that time. Uh, the um, the thing was, I, I grew up, uh, you know, kind of surrounded by the whole Motown thing. Uh, but Mo- when Motown left in the 70s, it had a really devastating effect on Detroit's um, music uh, s- scene, you know, in general. Uh, you know, like after the Stooges and MC5 broke up, after after Motown went left for L.A., uh, Detroit was kind of became very unfashionable, I think, at the time. And all the musicians that were here, there were all these amazing musicians here that were, I think, kind of the world kind of the music business kind of treated them like, oh, these are the people Barry Gordy left behind, you know. And then when I so when I started playing music, there it was a very bleak environment with no opportunities. And so, you know, me and my friends, we were just like people that were just too stubborn to pay attention to the fact that there were no opportunities here. You know, and we just didn't know what else to do with ourselves. Uh, but that changed. The more we did it, we kind of the, the world kind of noticed the things we were doing. But um, and, and that all just gradually changed in the 90s, you know. But when we started the band in the 80s, it was still, um, you know, Detroit was still just there was a sort of isolated kind of quality to it. But like living here, you know, you would always bump into people that were the Motown musicians or people that played with MC5 and Stooges and Funkadelics, you'd, 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 you'd run into those people because they were around, you know? And it was just kind of, uh, so I was always inspired by the history, even though those people were really kind of in a state of struggle, trying to kind of figure out where they fit in in the world, you know? And, and you know, so, so it would, you know, it's, it, but anyway, the, the, as time has gone by, there's just so much history in Detroit musically that, I mean, Every day I learn something new. I hear, I find some new record that I didn't know before. And I mean, just whether it's, you know, the soul music or the jazz stuff going back to the forties or just weird psychedelic bands, there's so much music that happened here that it's like a constant uh, archeological expedition. You know, I love how much you love music aside from loving to play music. Like, I mean, I, I love music. I love to go to shows. I love to, I, I have my own sort of micro version of a record collection, but yeah. you're something special. <laughs> well, no, tell you, you well, love your passion for music equals your rivals, at least your playing, which is so badass. Well, thank you. you. Yeah, no, especially I think about myself. I don't really I'm, have a collection and I rarely listen to music, but I'm a musician and I play. I listen to, I love to see certain bands, but I actually like like noise experimental, I've realized okay. about myself. Okay. Things that aren't necessarily vocal music, but I'm a vocalist and that's what I do. So it's really interesting right. that 
I, you know, and I, everyone I know is a collector of records, okay. is like an encyclopedia of which, bands which is and all Peter. Of that. You yeah. cannot. I, to, we have a friend named John Waldman as well. The two most <laughs> well-read when it comes to who played what, right. where, and when. Yes, I mean, I have so many I could, friends you know, like that. I mean, I, love I could, it. yeah, I could probably ask Peter who was who was the guitar player on Ziggy Stardust. Well, Mick Ronson, but. Uh, and Will Bowie played uh, acoustic. Yeah, but that's not a hard one. Matt, how about Mac Diamond Dogs? Diamond Dogs. Well, it's it's, um, it's Bowie. Bowie, but uh, there was but there was a studio musician named Alan Parker who's not credited <laughs> on the record. Case in and point. Alan Parker, he actually played the guitar on Rebel Rebel. And now Alan Parker. Uh, played in another band was it blue mink was that who he was in with, with uh i think he, he was, was in, in blue mink blue yeah. mink and now this is the other connection the bass player for blue mink was herbie flowers and herbie flowers is famous for being the bass player on a the lou reed transformer record and played one of the most famous rock and roll bass lines ever which was walk on the wild side and so the uh and bowie produced transformer that lou reed record so i in my mind i'm just thinking about connections all the time that that Alan Parker was a studio guy. Alan Parker, uh, you know, along with Chris Spedding, was sort of like the big studio guy uh, in well, the also, early seventies. He also played. Alan Parker played on. Uh, I, I believe he's the lead guitarist on uh, the Ballad of Melody Nelson uh, by by Serge Gainsbourg. Oh yeah, God. that so is those, true. All that lead guitar. That's that. This is the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and there's another guy, other person who played uh, on that Diamond Dogs record on, I think, 1984. There was somebody uh, who went by the name uh, Warren Peace, um, <laughs> who you should ask John Wallman because he saw him, I think, at a poetry reading in San Francisco. Uh, anyway, you got you got me off on a tangent here, Ben. Yeah, so. this is amazing. No, no, this but, is exactly I mean, what you were trying to scratch yeah. the surface of this cats and these cats knowledge. I mean, it's, I've wanted to do this for so long. Well, well one, one, one thing I wanted to throw in, you know, that um, I thought was interesting is like when I first met Peter back in the early nineties, we were playing with this Australian singer, Simon Bonney. And that's where we met. And uh, one of the first things that happened was um, Peter turned me on to that band, the kaleidoscope. And, uh, you know, Darrell, and, told, and he told me the story of how you guys grew up around those guys and the kaleidoscope and Chris Darrow and, and that, those records. Uh, I think that they, they kind of affected uh, the direction of the Volbeats. I hear know? them I, in the Volbeats, if I could, if I could say. Yeah. And so like, you know, and that was back in the nineties, I was already, you know, picking up on that stuff. But when, um, you know, one one of our uh, guitar players, the guy who played on the double album, had to quit the band. He, you know, had had, had some stuff he had to deal with, and he left. Uh, I immediately called Peter, and I, I just remember when we got Peter jamming uh, with the Volbeats, our attitude was, "Man, now we have a real California guitarist. And this is what's <laughs> different." You know, like he's playing like a style that comes from these records that you know we've I've been listening to for the past twenty years. And sort of, uh, so, you know, it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, there's a whole, there's a, there's a flavor that, that Peter has added to the group that comes from this history of, of, of 
the kaleidoscope and that that West Coast thing. And he brings that into that was something that wasn't in our music in that way before, you know, and it is on this new album. So very exciting. You have a new album coming out on Mad Bunny Records, which just so happens to be your old friend Ben Harper's label. Thanks for sharing your time and day and expertise and encyclopedic knowledge of music. You guys, you know, let's let's bookmark that because I want to get into that again. I want to have a have a list of like three or five records and just do that with you guys. That'll yeah. be super special. So let's let's get back to that. All right. Yeah. Um, All but right. for now, uh, or what what record is the entry point as far as you guys are concerned? Um, I would say if I had to pick two records, people should find. The first album we did in the late 80s, in 80, 89, our first album, Ain't No Joke, is very different from what we're doing now. But it's a it's a really good record. And it was the record was good enough that it kept us going through a lot of personnel changes and things like that. So that first album is inter- really interesting. And then the double album that we did 12 years ago, I think, is the best thing we had done up until the new one. Ain't No Joke, The Volbeats, and All the Way Through to Lonesome Galaxy coming out June yeah. 10th. Woo! Yeah. Great. And I have to say, one other thing that just like leaves me like awestruck about The Volbeats is that you know a lot of bands will shapeshift dramatically to fit in the time that they're aspiring towards. The Volbeats are always The Volbeats. It's just great sounds, <laughs> Great songs, great production. And that's it's super inspiring to me to kind of stay my own course. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that, and thank you for allowing Mad Bunny to put out your record. Oh, well, thank you. Well, thank you, Ben. And right Ray, on. thanks for having us. Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields.